Thank you for tuning into the Hope When There Was None podcast. And here we share stories to educate you, to empower you and inspire. So thank you for listening and tuning in. Please do me a favor and share if you have a favorite episode, or maybe you think somebody else that needs a dose of positivity and to maybe break open some of the darkness, let there be light. So thank you again for all of your support and encouragement. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, it's Melinda from Hope When There Was None. How are you doing? It is a soulful Sunday. And today we usually talk about all things self-care. This is kind of a little different and maybe it should be a teachable Tuesday, but I was really feeling that I needed to reach out and talk about this today. Not that I'm not going to touch on self-care. I am, but it's maybe a little different perhaps. So let's get into this. Well, re-victimization. I have some notes here, my little cheaters. I'm going to be looking at those pretty regularly. And also, um, you know, I had some really awesome people that I met with this weekend. And it just really touched my heart, different things. So I am going to kind of bounce around a lot. But just to remember, whoever's listening to this right now, being out of a relationship when it's been a abusive when you've been a victim, whether it's a job related, whether it is something that is related to an intimate partner or family member, toxic family member. It is very, it's a very long healing process. Try not to get discouraged. And I know it can be very discouraged. It's discouraging. And it can also be a time where you might get very angry at the Lord because it doesn't seem like you are progressing maybe in your healing. Things aren't happening readily or fast enough. And I get that. I know, and you have to have some patience, and I would stop my feet, and you know what? Also, real quick, there is this amazing Fortnite update or thing going on right now, so you're going to hear some screams and some things in the background because the kids are watching this premiere of Fortnite. So, anyway, let's get into this. So, what is re-victimization? I gotta tell you, and this is something that I know for sure that I've had myself and I've experienced this. Now, our brain is when we are going through what we're going through, our brain or trauma brain, if you want to call this, it could be really hard to make decisions. I also didn't trust myself during when I had left my ex. I really didn't trust myself. And by the way, if you haven't heard of me before, let me go back. I'm Melinda Kunst, and I am the page owner of Hope When There Was None. I started my journey in 2009 after attempting to leave my ex countless times. I physically left twice in 2007, but left for a third and final time in 2009. I was a victim of you know, every type of abuse you can think of, except like satanic ritual abuse. There was none of that going on. It, it was uh, religious abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse, uh, physical, emotional, all of that stuff, all that big ball of wax. Now, just because my story doesn't mirror yours, please do not downplay your abuse. I want to encourage you that no matter what it looks like, abuse is abuse. No matter if you've been hit, whether you've been raped, whether you've been saying, oh, it's just, I'm doing air quotes here. It, it's just, he calls me names or she calls me names every once in a while. It is still abuse. Okay. I want you to recognize that and, and call it what it is. It's abuse and it's wrong. It's not normal. And it is not something that, um, that you should think is normal. Please don't normalize it. It's not. And don't give any excuses for that person doing this to you. I've heard people say, 
I deal with a lot of women. So I hear women say, well, you know, it's because he is drinking all the time. He has issues with drinking. So this is why he smokes. Or he smokes. He hits me. Please don't downplay. Please don't justify his actions. It's wrong. No matter what, it's wrong. So with the trauma brain, you could have some obsessive, obsessive, like, like compulsive ideas. You might not even recognize um, what someone is doing to you, even a romantic partner, the things that they're, they're doing to you is wrong. Uh, you might have just left a traumatic situation. So that is normal. But recognizing the red flags and so on can really be helpful. You might become to where you don't trust anybody. You might feel like you're living in a hypervigilant, like you're on eggshells all the time looking over your shoulder. You might be really jumpy. Uh, you might not like change. Okay, you might not feel that you like change. You could have a lot of self-imposter syndrome, excuse me, type of things because that person that you were with, whether it's, again, family member, intimate partner, might have put these ideas in your head that you're useless, you're worthless, you'll never live up to this. Oh, why do you want to go to school? You're not smart enough. Those sort of things, they might plant those seeds in your head. And unfortunately, sometimes those grow and we take those in on ourselves and we believe them. We've heard them repeatedly enough and we start to believe those stories and they're not true, okay? There might be some, again, a lot of trust issues. You might not uh, just, gosh, even just that change. And I mentioned the change before because that is so important. There's so many people that don't like change. I don't like change. And when you, even the thought of leaving an abusive person means that's going to be change. And change can be scary. And it can, I'll be honest with you. I was afraid. I was scared. I thought, well, if I just stay where I'm at, planted where I am, I know what I'm dealing with. I know what to expect. I know how I can get away and tiptoe around things in order to keep myself safe or kind of slide under the radar, get away with stuff or kind of de-escalate a situation. So these are things that I did. So you have that trauma brain. So how can you be re-victimized? Now, as a person, let's say you are listening to this, you're coming in at your loved one or a friend, or you just stumbled on this, and somebody you know um, is in an abusive situation, perhaps you don't believe the victim. Perhaps you are the victim. So I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to play this as maybe you're a friend listening to this. Okay, so if you're a victim, this is what I'm saying to you as well. Somebody might not believe you. There could be gossiping, it could be, you could find out, especially in the church, you could put your confidence in someone in the church. And now remember that the church is a place of healing. It's like a hospital for emotionally and mentally and, and sometimes physically hurt people. And this is a place where they're supposed to come and go and help one another, help get, get help from the Lord. But we don't always get that because... Hurt people can hurt people, and those people are, can then create it to where you don't want to go back to church. And I know that because that happened to me. I went to my pastor, and I said, he's beating on me. I'm afraid to go home. You know, is there some resources? Can we do some sort of counseling? You know, I didn't know. This was before I left him for the final time. And he's like, well, we will pray for you because you know what, Melinda? You know what the Bible says about abuse. That hurt me. That hurt me deeply because I love my Lord and I love and I've been going on my knees. I've been doing everything I could. Power the praying wife. And I've mentioned this before. I've done everything I could in order to be that good wife. Air quotes. I say air quotes because I'm putting this on the podcast. So if you're, <laughs> if you're not watching me live, 
I just want to go ahead and let you know what I'm doing. But there's that gossiping sometimes that comes in not only within our, our church community, community, but also sometimes within our family or friends or people we think are supposed to be supportive of us. And they go and they gossip or they think that you're gossiping or you are. Why are you trying to tarnish this man or woman? Because abusers can be women too. Why are you trying to tarnish their reputation? You know, if you talk like this, what's going to happen is they might not be able to excel. They might not be able to, to maybe become that deacon. If you start spreading lies like this, they can accuse you of gossiping. Okay. And sometimes again, they can gossip without even coming to you as the victim and saying, is this true? Are you going through an abusive situation? When I hear about, when I hear gossip, I usually like to go to that person and say, you know, I'm hearing this about you. Is this true? I, I like to. And and I don't tune into a lot of gossip as it is. I try not to do that. But if I do, I do want to go into that person to a person and ask them. Now, they can be you can be accused of having mental illness. You are going crazy. And again, this falls into that gray line with some gaslighting there. Perhaps you're you're making these things up and that uh, that abuser could also be making the spin out of control by saying that you're crazy. You don't remember things like this. You don't remember incidents like this. It didn't happen that way. Or they could be doing something else or having those what they call flying monkeys, which is that support person for that abuser and they're kind of feeding all this gossip, feeding all of this and supporting all of what your abuser is saying and they start to believe it. And it, once it takes, it's like a snowball going down a hill. Once it starts taking momentum, it can really blow up. Like um, playing, they used to call it Chinese telephone. You know, you go and you say one thing to somebody by the end uh, and you go down the road and by the end of the day, you have a totally different story, okay? Now, you can also, you know, they might say, hey, don't talk poorly of your spouse, your husband, your wife, or whoever, your mom, your dad. Now, now this is a tricky thing, too, because I know, as I'm mentioning about the church, I know of a lot of people that have been so wounded by the church, or maybe they haven't heard answers from their prayers, or maybe they're in that satanic type of situation or cult situation. And so you stop to believe that God's actually there listening. You might have those unanswered prayers and you've been wishing and hoping. And this was me. I was wishing and hoping that my ex would change. Like, Lord, let's have some change with him and within him, within me. What do I need to do in order to, to get him to let's have a normal relationship? What do I have to do to stop him from hitting me? What do I have to do to stop him from just raping me? What do I have to do why aren't you answering these prayers so he stops harming my children? What do I have to do? Lord, why aren't you listening to me? And I became very angry at the, at God, at the Lord. I became very furious. And again, I stopped going to church for a while. I even put my Bible away. It's like, you know, he's not going to answer me. I'm not going to go ahead and mm -mm, like a little kid. And I'm not accusing anybody else of this, but that's what I felt like when I look back. I felt like a little kid whose parent has told them no, and I'm having a tantrum. Okay, but I know God has a plan for me. He has, has a path for me, and I couldn't see it then. And that's why I love, I am telling you, whoever's listening to this, give it time. Be patient. I promise things will happen. Things will, will go forward. But you need to do some work, too. You can't just stay in your house. You can't just stay in your room. You can't just stay 
in the same place that you are locked in and not believing that things aren't going to change unless you start changing. You do. You have to start putting one foot in front of the other. You might be saying, Melinda, I'm doing that and nothing's happening. But what does your mindset look like? Is your mindset one of victimhood? Are you still living in that victim mindset where nothing's ever going to change? I don't know why I bother. Prayer is stupid. What is your mindset look like? Is it wishy-washy? Is it kind of dirty? Are you going back and forth? What does it look like? Because God does care about you. He cares about your marriage. He cares about you, but he doesn't want this type of union for you. If you are in an abusive relationship right now, that's not why God made marriage. And I wasn't meaning for this to be like a sermon because that's not what I'm about. But this was created. Sex, marriage was a bonding for between two people and he created it to be a beautiful union not to be afraid not to be someone that it feels that they're being judged this was supposed to be a beautiful union and that's like sex too it's supposed to be something beautiful that is being created and and enjoyed by both parties so anyway let me get off of that being overly what do i have are you or somebody you know overly investigating your claims. So perhaps you've come forward and you say, you know, my my husband, my wife is being abusive. And then that person, let's say of the church or your best friend even, which is very harmful. It really hurts. It really hurts, I should say. Um, when someone doesn't believe you, not only that, that they have to pick it apart. They want to know the dates. They want to know the times, what happened. And they seem like they don't believe you. And that's very hurtful. That's really hard. So being someone that's really investigating the situation and you're not the police, no, but you are being overly investigated. You're, you keep peppering this poor person with questions and you're just not believing them. Now, they, you maybe it's somebody that values the husband instead or the wife instead. And especially if it's a man, if you're coming from the church and you're, you're a deacon or somebody listening and you're someone rooted deeply into the church, into that congregation, and you're believing that that, hun that husband's opinion matters, and it does, but maybe that husband is saying, well, she's, she's crazy. She is making things up. Rather than go to you as a victim and say, hey, I heard X, Y, Z. They are coming to you with them, but they're accusing you of causing this issue. They're accusing you, uh, again, of making your husband, your partner look bad. They protect that reputation of the abuser rather than believe that victim. Now, these things can make a victim feel ashamed. They can make you feel like you're ruining your kids' lives. And they might say that you're ruining your children's lives if you leave. You need to apologize to your partner, or maybe it's your mom or dad, because you know what the Bible says about honoring your mother and father, you need to apologize. You need to maybe just suck it up, go back, work on your relationship. You know, have you heard that before? So being accused of mutual issues, okay? They might make you feel, again, like you're crazy. So when you're in this situation, you're going to have chronic stress. I'm not going to say that you're going to, I know you're going to have it. You're going to have chronic stress. And what does this look like? It looks like sleep deprivation. It looks like um, PTSD. Okay. It looks like a needing medication in order just to get through your day. Perhaps you need that to sleep. And all of a sudden you're immune to falling asleep because you're taking more and more of these sleeping pills or medication, or maybe it's alcohol. You start getting hooked up with substances. 
your body can start shutting down and may show this as illness. You might get fibromyalgia, you could have depression, anxiety, and other type of mental illness as well as that because your stress level is just going up, up, up. And your body doesn't, especially if you don't have an outlet for releasing, your body doesn't know what to do with it. So it starts, you start losing your hair, your gums might start bleeding. You might start developing hives. Perhaps you might have little seizures, panic attacks, again, with that PTSD sort of stuff too. I became, my hair started falling out. I became so severely constipated. It was like a month. And I know, I don't know how that's possible, but by the grace of God, I it was about a month. I wasn't able to go. I had to go to the emergency room because I was so uncomfortable and I was feeling so sick. And I don't know how I didn't end up getting sicker, but by, like I said, I, I know why it's by the power of God there, but I needed to, my body didn't know what to do. I didn't know at that point in time, what was going on with me. I knew it was stress, but I wasn't quite sure of the severity. I wasn't sleeping. My ex was using sleep deprivation anyway as a means of abuse. It's something that he was using. It was one of his tools that he was using. So I, my body was just falling apart. It, your body knows better than you do of what you need, and that's to break free. Okay, so it does know that. And again, it'll start showing you by these stress levels, um, just different things, little things. And I encourage you to start making a list of these things too that you might notice. And the victims need to be able to share, and you need to be able to share it in a safe way. You need to be able to be able to share without judgment. And of course, finding that rest. Finding rest is so important. The first night that I left my ex, I, I was a little bit jumpy. But that was the first night that I actually got at least six solid hours of sleep. And it doesn't sound like much, but for me, that was the best sleep ever because I didn't have someone trying to choke me. I didn't have someone punching me in my sleep. I didn't have someone trying to um, try to have sex with me, even if I didn't want to. I didn't have that fear that something was going to happen. I slept with a knife under my bed, underneath my um, my side of the bed, because I never knew what was going to happen if I had it to protect myself. So the kids also, if you have children, they might have, they might have behavior issues. Howdy, baby. And uh, it's not surprising if you have CPS might become involved, especially if things get more escalated. There are sometimes financial issues. And this is a lot of reasons why many victims don't want to leave is the financial issues. You feel like I can't provide for my children. Where am I going to get insurance? Where am I going to find a car? Where am I going to find housing? How am I going to feed these kids? All these things too. So when you start, you have to start finding outlets, finding a job. And this is planning. This is part of the safety planning too, trying to get your eggs all in one basket. And I know it's going to be hard. I know, I know, I know. But counting and finding a tribe, finding somebody. And by the way, a tribe is not, I know people might get offended by that because I've been reading some stuff. It's like, well, I am Indian, but part Indian. But a tribe is also a community of people. If you look up the definition, it's not just a Native American thing. It is just a community, like-minded people coming together. So when I'm saying that, I'm meaning your support staff, you support people, not your staff, but those around you that love you, that you can trust, okay? And I use tribe a lot just because I do. I like the word. Um, but left untreated, and this is where I started to break down. I started to deteriorate. My health was not doing good. There was those mental health issues, those mental illness issues that I had. I had anxiety. I had depression. Um, I had that Stockholm syndrome, the PTSD. 
and all of this stuff was just really snowballing. And I've had that poverty mindset too. All of this goes in, you know, all together, having those physical issues. And then I learned it was fibro, finding out that I was um, living in that hypervigilant stage. I was so worried that I was going to repeat that pattern too. So if I found somebody, what's to say he's not going to do what my ex did? I was nervous about this because this is a pattern that does or can happen to many victims. They can fall into that pattern, maybe being lonely. They don't want to be alone. They're so used to having someone. And I know because I was alone there for a while, being alone by myself, it was lonely. But I had to start doing things. So I went to like affairs that were happening. I would go for walks. I actually picked up books and would just read. Yes, my mind was still focused on the crazy divorce and the crazy of everything else. But I knew I had to start doing some self care and some self worth. This is where we're getting to self Sunday. The self care and that self finding my self worth again and finding out who is Melinda. Who am I? What did I want out of life? I had to do a lot of journaling, and I'm going to use a big word. I got to meet with my friend, Roberta, yesterday. Oh, it's 333 um, yesterday, and she taught me the word ubiquitous. ubiquitous I'm going to say that wrong. Ubiquitous capture. So if you don't have a pen and paper handy, what you can do is do a ubiquitous capture, which is from David Allen. And that is meaning you're just going to capture that. You're going to use maybe a recording device or something in order to jot down those thoughts, any of those memories that come. Because maybe you're like, Melinda, I am not a journaler. I'm not going to sit down and journal. <laughs> and that's fine. All right, sis, that is fine. But I want you to start putting them down on paper. Grab a little notepad. Throw it in your purse, throw it in your desk drawer at work, throw it in your car. And any time that some, something bubbles up, because most of the time my things would hit me when I'm driving, because I think I had like really no distractions if I made sure to turn off the radio. And I do that a lot. And those thoughts would come in, those memories would come in. And yes, I had to pull over to the side a lot. Or when I would get to my destination, I would just start writing. And it didn't have to make sense. But for me, it did because I knew what those words meant. So do that ubiquitous, ubiquitous capture, do that as well, write it down to start the ball rolling in order to just a little bit. If you can't journal, please do me a favor and just do that, okay? Now, you as a victim might feel like giving up because it does feel hopeless. It might feel that you don't have any hope. You just will return to that abuser. And I know I've been there. I've been there. I felt like, you know, it's just easier for me to go back. Your brain may be so so used to the negative patterns, the negative thoughts, that you may have a hard time moving. You could suffer a stroke. If this is, goes untreated, a stroke, a heart attack, high blood pressure, you could be sick very often. I was sick all the time when I was with my ex. I was always having a sore throat. I was always having a cold. I always seemed to be sick. So how else can you, besides believing the victim, how, what else can you do as a person watching from outside? Okay, perhaps this is somebody that you love, you see this is going on. So you're going to love this person. I'm going to say it's a woman, but like I said, men are victimized as well. So believe her, love her, let her cry if she needs to, let her scream if she needs to, let her show that emotion, help her to feel safe. And if you want to give her a hug, please ask first. 
I'd like to give you a hug, or may I give you a hug, or anytime you want to reach out, maybe she's venting to you and you want to touch her shoulder or her leg, let her know. I make sure when I'm going to, when I'm, when I'm talking with somebody, even a friend, if they look like they are in the need or I feel like, oh my goodness, I need just to let you know that I, I love you and I hear you besides repeating back what they're saying, but I might need to touch your shoulder or something. I'm going to touch your, your shoulder. Is that okay? I always ask permission first because you don't know what that person went to went through. So you want to make sure you do ask for permission first. Offer to pray for that person. Okay. You ask for them to, to pray for, um, for wisdom. I needed wisdom when I was going through what I was going through because I didn't feel like I had much. I felt like that clarity was gone because everything that I was going through was so crazy at that point in time. I knew I needed to have some wisdom and some clarity. Just be a good friend, okay? Be a good friend. Be be there if she needs to cry or something like that. Remind her that this isn't what God wants. This isn't what God wants for her. This isn't in his plan. This we take our lessons. Sometimes they're hard lessons, but we take these lessons and, and we move on. And this might be something that happens just so something greater happens out of that. Really, rising from the ashes, okay? Now ask her what she needs help with. Does she need help with the kids? Does she need groceries? Does she need money? Does she need help with those bills? Is there maybe some court coming up and she needs to run errands or get up to court and attorneys? So ask what she needs. Does she need help finding work? Is there a medical issues and she needs get to get to and from a hospital, doctor's appointments, or get medication, whatever she needs for support? Again, maybe she needs to find housing or perhaps you might not understand any of this, but just know that she is still loved. Let her know you love her and that you are just being there. You're listening and you're there to help however you can. Okay. This isn't her fault. And you, sometimes you might need to let her know that, that God will open up these doors for her and he doesn't want her to be abused. He doesn't want any of us to be abused. So give her that safety. Tell her not to talk about this to um, buy. Excuse me. Don't tell her not to talk about this. Don't tell her she needs to get over this. Don't tell her to go to couples counseling because couples counseling is one of the worst things you want for them to go to together. If they go to counseling, they go apart because when you have couple counseling, and I know because I experienced this before I would go into couples counseling, I was told, don't say anything about what's going on in the house or else. And I knew what that or else would be. So I couldn't be open with the counselor. I couldn't tell them, well, he just smacked me around before we came here. Or there were some verbal things that went on this week. I couldn't do that. So that's one of the worst things you can do is to advise them to go to a couple's counseling because she that's not a safe place for her. Okay. There's no, she can't openly share. They can go one on one at different times, but not together. Um, so also don't counter the lie. You know, you want to counter the lies that you believe. So let's say she's thinking that she's useless or worthless. You want to build her up so she doesn't continue on that negative pattern and give her some hope. Reminder to trust God that he is there. And I know that's so hard sometimes. I know because I had difficulties believing in that. Like I said, I did a lot of tantrums, a lot of screaming and a lot of crying, but he was there. And remind her that she can share with safe, safe people. Maybe you need to go with her to counseling. Um, maybe because she doesn't want to go. She could be scared of going. I didn't want to go because I was very scared of going. But maybe she needs someone to help her go through these things to feel safe. It was a lot. I know.
the Soulful Sunday. This is Melinda. I'm going to sign off. But if you have any questions about today's broadcast, by all means, message me privately. Okay. And share this if you know somebody that might be in an abusive situation. Maybe you have somebody that uh, just needs to know that they're not alone. So I'm going to let you go. This will be up on a podcast a little bit later. So you can check for that link as well. I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you on Tuesday. Be safe. Love you. Bye. Bye.